Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Israel Alofendano, a Baptist minister. I'm based in Woolwich Central Baptist Church, which is in Southeast London, and uh, also run a training center called Center for Missionaries from the Majority World, working with African missionaries, uh, Caribbean pastors, uh, Latin American and Asian pastors in different contexts who are doing mission in Britain. And I've written different books. Some of them are at the back, which you can have a look. Uh, also a research fellow at Queen's Foundation, uh, trustees of Redcliffe College, and also a visiting lecturer at Redcliffe College. Uh, so that's just a, a little bit about myself. Um, so what I want to look at this morning is, uh, is uh, a chapter in a book that I'm editing, that I'm working on, which is coming out hopefully this year, uh, being published by uh, Regnum Studies, Oxford Centre for Mission Studies. And the title is World Christianity in Western Europe, Diasporic Identity, Narratives and Missiology. And as I said, this is a chapter. So I'm editing the book. There are different contributors uh, from Western Europe uh, who are contributing uh, from Sweden, Netherlands, Germany, uh, just to explore uh, the phenomenon of diaspora missiology. So this is a chapter, so I'm reflecting, I'm presenting a chapter from there. Um, sorry. So, um, I think starting, I need to just clarify the way I'm using the word African diaspora because I think it's very important. There are obviously African-Americans, there's African-Caribbean, and there is African or continental Africans. Uh, for the purpose of this study and the research uh, that I've done for this particular chapter, I'm focusing on continental Africans, that is those who are based on the continent, who have traveled uh, to Europe as pastors, missionaries, Christians in that context. So what that means is that in this particular, what I'm presenting to you, I'm not looking at African Caribbeans and I'm not looking at African Americans. Uh, elsewhere, I've reflected on African Caribbean and Africans as part of what we call black majority churches. So I just thought it's important just to start with that. When we talk about African churches, I think there are different ways we can look at it. The term African churches doesn't actually say much about a lot of African uh, churches because there are different types, different profiles uh, of African churches. But I thought I'd start with some of the research I'm doing. So one of the things I do, I go around uh, different boroughs in London counting African churches just to have an idea uh, because there's an explosion of African churches. And I came across this in Woolwich and decided to take a picture. So this is five African Pentecostal churches congregated in one locality. And oftentimes this raises question, is this mission or is it competition? So well, that's some of the things we will explore as we continue. Okay, uh, to start with the history and typologies of African churches in Europe, a key question is when did African churches started in Europe? And this question is not saying where did African Christians sort of emerge in Europe. If we're looking at when did African Christians emerge in Europe, we'll be taking the date a bit further back. 
but looking at uh, when African churches started in Europe, it helps us to sort of tease out their history and a bit of their types and how uh, they sort of operate. So I'm just going to start with that. So there is this guy just to start. Uh, his name is John G. And John G. has a fascinating story. He was an enslaved African. He was born in Nigeria, old Calabar. And he was with his whole family at the age of two. He was enslaved and taken to what we now know as North America, working obviously on, uh, you know, working as a slave over there, an enslaved person with his whole family. The fascinating thing about his story through that experience of enslavement and, you know, from around the age two to around age 15, he went through various experiences. So they would work early uh, from 4, no, sorry, from 4 a.m. to 11 p.m. in the night during the summer. And uh, from, you know, when it's uh, winter, is maybe six to another time. Uh, with a lot of severity going on with enslavement. But something happened. Uh, as he was with his masters and everything, um, John G was sort of, he didn't like Christians, obviously, because the way he was treated. And he didn't understand the Christian religion because he come from an African traditional religious background. Uh, and so reflecting as a child, as a teenager, he was thinking he didn't actually like Christians. But the mistake he made was to tell his master and his son that actually I don't like Christians, I hate Christians. To which at that stage, uh, they were very furious. And so they started forcing him to go to church because at that time they didn't let him go to church or chapel. So he was forced to go to church. And as he was attending weekly, he didn't want to go. He began to hear God's voice. And God spoke to him. Uh, through the process, he became a Christian. So it was what well, it was. It was on a journey, shall we say? He started asking questions about conversion. What does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, and so when he spoke to his masters, uh, they were very. They kind of understand that something was happening with him, and so they stopped him going to chapel uh, and said, "Actually, we don't want you to come anymore." So he was obviously very upset. Uh, and felt, okay, he was getting close to God, but now something has been pulled back. Anyway, uh, he eventually became a Christian and started preaching to all the slaves, and the master felt this was a big problem. So uh, they sold him off to other masters. When he was with his third master, uh, he was secretly baptized, and that became a problem when it was known. He was taken to court, uh, and at court, they asked, obviously, they asked him how you came to be baptized and he explained his experience uh, of his journey of knowing God. It, yeah, it was eventually he became a free man because of that uh, uh, experience of God and narrating his own story of uh, Christian faith. He became a free man and he decided to do something significant. He started traveling around. Uh, he got a job as a seaman, which is what you can do in those days, and started traveling around. And he traveled around he traveled different continents. He was in traveled various parts of North uh, America. He planted some churches in Boston, in New York, uh, and then left that to other people and moved on. Uh, he came to Europe, traveled France, Germany, Ireland, different places. But what is interesting in terms of African churches is that towards the end, around between 1805 and 1815, he started a church in Portsmouth, which 
could be regarded as probably the first black majority church in Europe. So that, that's one of the interesting things. Uh, John G's story is, uh, I mean, from an enslaved to African evangelist, so that's just one story. Here's another guy, Reverend Thomas Kwame Brown Wilson, who is from Ghana, came to UK in 1901 and in 1906 founded the church in Peckham. Now, if you are familiar with Pentecostal history, 1906 is very significant uh, with Azusa Street revival and other things. But again, what is fantastic, uh, what is sort of unique about his experience was that the Pentecostal pioneers, the British Pentecostal pioneers like Alexander Body, uh, who was the Anglican minister in Sunderland, who uh, were, was a key pioneer in terms of Pentecostal movement in the UK, and Smith Wigglesworth, Kwame Brown Wilson worked with a lot of these people. Now, the church he founded, the history of it was lost because when he died in 1929, uh, even though he founded as an independent church, he became affiliated with Assemblies of God, Britain. And so that history was lost, not until around 2006, uh, when Professor James Killingray was doing some research and came across this guy and realized that actually the church was founded as an independent church. Uh, the church celebrated the centenary in 2006. Uh, but these are early pioneers of sort of African churches. And then the last one sort of on sort of antecedents of types of African churches is Daniel's Ikate, uh, who again came from Old Calabar, Nigeria, uh, came to the UK in 1931 and founded African Churches Mission. Uh, Daniels was influenced by a Scottish missionary called Mary Slessor, who went to Africa and did a lot of mission work. And Daniel obviously was inspired and encouraged by Mary Slessor and felt he was going to go and do mission work himself. Now, when I was coming to the UK, Mary Slessor did one and say, UK is not a Christian country as you might think. So just be very careful, but Daniel didn't really listen. So he came with the enthusiasm, was working as a seaman as well. Now, when he got here, he was a bit confused because he wasn't obviously welcomed. He was living in Liverpool. Uh, he wasn't welcomed, he was rejected. No one really didn't want to speak to him. So he was frustrated. Uh, he actually said in uh, one of his writings that he was gonna go back to Africa and shoot all the white missionaries because they have told us lies. Uh, but after a while, I think he found God again, and in 1931, started African Churches Mission. Now, the, what I like about this church is that during the Second World War, something happened. African-American soldiers uh, who were fighting after this, you know, during and after Second World War, were obviously settled in Liverpool, and many of them had relationship with a lot of white British women. Now, the relationship gave birth to a lot of mixed-race children. Now, the mixed-race children in those days were not really understood as we understand them now. They were actually little mongrels, not children. Daniel decided to turn his church into an orphanage to house these children. Uh, and he was able to do that till 1964, when Liverpool Council felt the place he was using was not fit for purpose and demolished the building and took the children away from Daniel. Not long after that, Daniel uh, passed away. Uh, in that sense. But these are just early sort of history uh, of African judges. How many more minutes? Just wanted to have an idea. Uh, you've got until 22. I don't know what the... Okay. Just wanted to keep an eye on time. Now, in terms of 
African churches, the one that we are probably familiar with, the one that started, well, consensus we say started in the 1960s, but the ones I've mentioned, they started way earlier. Uh, the ones that sort of started from 1960s, there are three types. So there are African Pentecostal churches, there are African independent churches that are known as AICs, and there are African congregations within historic churches, whether it's Baptist, Catholics, Anglican, URC, and the rest. Other parts of Europe have sort of similar typologies. In the Swedish context, uh, these are the sort of typologies that exist uh, about African churches. Uh, in the German context, this again, we have similar typologies that explain uh, the different kind of churches. So there are churches that some of them are started in Africa, but sent pastors and missionaries to plant churches in the UK or Europe. Uh, whether that could be Amsterdam, uh, Hamburg, or different parts. But there are those who have started independently here, uh, not any ties to any denominational churches in Africa, but are now sending missionaries or doing mission work across uh, the world. So you have different types uh, of African churches uh, that exist in different European countries. I'm not going to spend much time on this because of uh, time. So these are the sort of first sets. These are the churches that started in the 60s across Europe. African-initiated churches. Uh, there's a lot that can be said about African-initiated churches. They are very pioneering when they started in Africa in the 1920s. Many of them started as a reaction to colonial Christianity. That is a sort of a Western form of Christianity that says you have to be Christian, but you also have to dress like Victorian Christians. And so many of them reacted to that uh, in so many ways. So these churches are very prophetic very pioneering you probably would have come across them sometimes they are called white garment churches in fact evangelicals sometimes don't see them as churches but i would argue that they are churches i was born and raised in this kind of church uh, in nigeria and i know that they are definitely churches uh because they you know uh, they, they have their own spirituality which is very akin to african spirituality the ones you are probably you have seen or are renting in your churches are the African Newa Pentecostal churches, the big ones. And these are the mega ones started from around the 1980s across uh, different parts of Europe. Uh, so you have KICC will be one of the well known. Uh, but there are others uh, in the UK context, in Liverpool, in Manchester. And obviously, there are African congregations within historic churches. This is the church I pastor in Woolwich. That's just a selection uh, of people that attend our church. So our church, people will call it a black majority, and rightly so, because possibly most of us look alike. But to a, that's probably to an outside observer. But to someone who comes inside, we actually have 20 different nationalities represented uh, from North Africa, East, West, Central, Southern, and from different parts of the Caribbean. I think the often mistake when we use the term like black majority church is kind of like a black canvas that doesn't tease out the nuances and the diversity that exist in blackness itself. Uh, and so it's very important that to an outsider we might appear black, but we did actually we all come from different parts uh, of the world and we still have white British, possibly in the, um, in the minority in the church. And we have this kind of congregations in Catholics and other denominations as well. In terms of the mission initiatives of African Christians, church planting is a big one. 
And this church planting ranges from church planting that are merely Nigerian to Nigerians to church planting that are reaching out to different people. So there's a church in Liverpool called Temple of Praise Church, founded by Tani Omide. And this church has different, it's a multicultural church. Uh, the only thing Nigerian about it is just the founder. Every other person in that church has come from different parts of the world. And so there are different uh, strategies in terms of church planting. Another strategy is transnational strategies, mm -hmm. which sort of connects uh, beyond the local to roots in Africa or roots in America or roots in the Caribbean, uh, depending on the network of the church. Now, KICC and other churches have done something very significant in our television stations. And through that, they are able to broadcast their conferences. It means they can reach the globe, basically. So you have KICC, Christ Embassy, with their own television station, which you can access easily. So they use this in their mission outreach. And of course, there's a lot of churches that are engaging in social political engagement. Uh, there is a pastor called Ade Amoba. He's a co-founder of National Church Leaders Forum with Dr. David Mill, who is a lecturer at um, Rampton University. Uh, they've put out uh, a Black Church Political Manifesto in 2015, and recently they put out another one, uh, which is sort of seeking to engage with the political parties in terms of uh, the experience of Black people in Britain. As I begin to move towards the end, one of the things I've been reflecting on is a development of a theology, which I'm calling African-British theology. And this is the question I'm wrestling with. And it is that, how can Africans who still believe in the world of spirits, angels, and demons engage in mission? Europeans who have been brought up on enlightenment thinking that reduces religion to fairy tales. But added to this is the perception of African as economic migrants. What I'm simply saying is this. People might not appreciate the challenge that many of us who have come to the UK face in terms of mission in the UK. There is a double challenge. I mean, when Europeans went to Africa, it went from a superior culture to an inferior culture, should as it supposed. But coming back, we are coming from the supposed superior, inferior culture to a superior culture. So the perception of Africans as economic migrants already affects our mission in the first sense. Uh, but also, ministering in a postmodern, post-Brexit context adds and exacerbate that problem. Another way to put the question is this, how can Africans who used to be labeled savages, barbaric, uncivilized, pagan, Aden, third world, underdeveloped, these are the various categories how Africans have been perceived throughout history, minister to Europeans who are considered enlightened, civilized, progressive, advanced, developed, first world. So that's another way of looking at it. In that question, there is a critique uh, for the enlight various enlightenment tradition. I appreciate that there's no one strand. There are various strands of it. It brings a critique to the European secularism and sort of the postmodern context. But African Christianity is not the only one that brings a challenge. There are New Age spiritualities that bring that challenge as well. And there are other people who have written about this, like Stewart Murray Williams, Steve Hollingist, which you can uh, consult on. But the second question is this, in the attempt of Africans doing mission in Europe, to what extent is African identity an important factor? That is, should we forget our African culture and just assimilate? Should we segregate and just do our own churches? Or should we integrate? 
and there are challenges again when you begin to look at this question uh, because there are churches that have come across Baptist churches African majority or sometimes African Caribbean who have said in their search for pastor say we would prefer a white pastor to a black pastor now while I understand that for the sake of the mission of the church to be cross-cultural there is that but I often wonder is there a subconsciousness that still see white as better than black is there a colonial residue uh, that makes people to say, well, we want a white pastor as opposed to a black pastor. Then if there's a colonial residue, then it is very important that African-British theology nurture African identity and worldview in order to be able to engage in a postmodern, post-Brexit context. And so this is what African-British theology is trying to do. It is an African theology and is a contextual post-colonial theology considering the existential realities of Africans living in a postmodern Brexit multiculturalism. I'm going to leave it there. Thank you. So we have uh, five or six minutes for questions. Are you happy to take questions? Yes. yes. Are you happy to sort of share those yourself or do you want me to come up and share them? Um, yeah. You do, okay. you're fine. So, I'm happy to answer questions. Um, well, I mean, you asked two. Oh, sorry. Two. Sorry. No, sorry, Richard. Um, as it's um, the first question you are: what, 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 what are your initial answers to the first question that you asked? You, you talked sure. about, you know, what do what yeah. do people of, of different African origins bring to the party, so to speak? What, what, do you, what is the answer? Do you think? Um, to the first question, which would be this: uh, yeah. Is it this one you're talking about? Um, yeah, because both both questions are kind of sharp related. So, so you, you talked about the the perception of, of yeah. one set of cultures being inferior to another, mm. but I believe firmly that there are huge benefits to learning from people of African origin okay. to the UK church. But I just wonder what you think as as being those. Sure. Um, I think it, it would be wrong to stereotype and generalize and say all Europeans think this way. Yeah. It would be wrong to say that so let me just start with that but it's also fair to say especially with brexit and the rhetoric that we see at the moment that has put race back on the agenda because i suppose we were thinking we were post-racial but obviously the brexit conversation around migration is clearly pointed that we are not and so for example from philip mohiba in 1956 who came as a missionary from guyana and the landlady who was going to house, uh, house him uh, said, oh, Philip said, I've come as a missionary from Vienna. And she laughed and like, you, a missionary. Normally, we send missionaries. Uh, to a friend of mine who came in 1995, Flavio Bratus from Brazil, uh, and as he was doing his preaching and everything, engaging with evangelical leaders, and they were like, and said, oh, I've come as a missionary from Brazil. And people didn't really take him seriously. This is 1995. When I came in 2004 as a missionary pastor as well, for, sent from Nigeria, there were places when I said that and people that, that put it this way, I operate in mission circles. And oftentimes when the conversation comes up, the idea of who is a missionary today in most mission organizations is still a white person. Sadly, as it is. Uh, and I can say that categorically with BMS, CMS, AIM, the list goes on. Um, you know, I work with these guys. 
the perception and most of the conversation, 80% of the conversation is still seeing missionaries and mission personnel as Europeans to the other places. And, and so when you encounter those kind of thinking, it makes you to begin to have this kind of question about how <laughs> the perception uh, and added to this perception, obviously, Africans in some sense uh, is, uh, you know, so there are churches in, in Southeast London where they take a lot of residential parking <laughs> and there is a lot of noise, praise and worship, as far as they are concerned, but disturb the neighbors. In those kind of scenarios, uh, if the neighbors already perceive them as economic migrants who have come, those kind of disturbances wouldn't help the relationship. So what I'm saying to African churches is that we have a double challenge. We need to do things that helps us to connect with our neighbor, with our community first, before we even start to talk about mission. We need to, we need to start our mission from putting a positive perception of ourselves. And this is still a journey, even how we do that, before we can even begin to minister to what does it mean to be ministering in an Enlightenment European worldview, uh, which will be the second challenge, which will be, you know, in sort of fresh expression context, we'll talk about discipleship and mission after Christendom. How do we do that? So it's a challenge for all of us. Uh, but it's just that double narrative that we face, that double challenge. <coughs> so, I think there was someone at the back. Who, just to clarify, one. Um, thank you, Joshua, for your paper. <coughs> I was really struck by something you said about how, when you say like black majority church, you could end up, uh, you know, making a putting everyone as the same and have this sort of like universal understanding of blackness, which which is which is really wrong because there are all these different cultures, and not least uh, from some of the things I read and I've spoken to, but. The, the people who come from a African continent context and those who come from a, a, an Afri African descent Caribbean context. Yeah. And I, I was just wondering, um, in terms of your understanding of African British theology, is that encapsulating all, that's all encompassing, I suppose, all of that and in terms of your understanding of context? Sure, yeah. sure. So, w what I'm trying to do with African British theology um, so it's fair to you know we must start by recognizing that there is black British theology of which we have a lot of exponents now in the UK and Anthony is one of them who is here and will be speaking later as well uh, and black British theology is you know is emerging and is a force on its own to be reckoned with but what I'm saying is, as there's now lots of sort of African missionaries who are coming and African churches, I'm sort of developing, put it this way, uh, I'm developing that side of the conversation. Uh, you know, so the way I see African British theology, it's not opposed to Black British theology. I see it as actually a subsidiary right. uh, of Black British theology. I see a connection because both are trying to. Both are relating to the black experience. In this case, this one is relating to the continental African experience. So that, that, that would be the way I would uh, put it. We're going to have to call a halt. I can hear the elephants upstairs. Israel, thank you so much. That was fantastic.